grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Back in 2019, I was blessed to attend a pastoral retreat to celebrate a number of different classes celebrating a class reunion over in San Antonio. There were three classes that were invited to the retreat. Those were celebrating their three-year graduation, like me. They'll start in their 10-year graduation, and they'll start celebrating 25 years. We had some activities that included all the different classes mixing together and others that were set up just for you and your classmates that you graduated with. And I remember one of the closing sessions with just me and my fellow three-year graduate uh, classmates that there was an activity that we were to do, which was to write down what we would hope people would say as we were preparing to retire from ministry after hopefully a long time of serving him. I don't remember what I specifically wrote down, but I do know that my answers match what almost everybody else gave. Things like selfless service to our Lord, faithfully shepherding the flock that God gave to us, and able to give a good example how to balance work, life, and family all at the same time. Many of our answers, they went back to what we could do or to what we were doing for the Lord. The Lord wasn't necessarily the focal point in too much of what what we had written down. Suppose you were to do the same thing. Someone had asked you to write down what you hoped someone would say when you accomplished a big milestone in your life of climbing the career ladder as far as you care to go, of raising children to be adults and later parents on their own, or to to reach a new level of friendship with your longtime friend. What things would you like them to say about you? Would you be like me and my fellow three-year seminary graduate classmates who have most of the stuff about ourselves instead of thanking the Lord for what, what we were able to do? As sinful humans, we have a tendency to highlight ourselves rather than our Lord. And when it comes to boasting, it just becomes all the more extreme. It's what we can do or what we have done instead of what the Lord has done for us or through us. And the Christians in first century Corinth were not too different from us. So Paul writes our verses for this morning to correct their boastful spirit so that they may look to the one who they should boast in, not in themselves, but to boast in the Lord. And Paul explains how. As we see how the Lord nullifies our every boast that comes from within ourself, but as he also becomes our boast, which is far greater than anything we could ever boast of from ourselves. The congregation that gathered there in first century Corinth was like many Christian congregations today. Not necessarily in terms of how they worship or the language that they spoke, certainly not, not the language that they spoke, but rather in who they were that was gathering around God's word. For the most part, they were not what the world would consider to be wise or powerful or born with high status. And the world thinks of these ideas as someone being wise, as someone who has uh, uh, applied knowledge to a practical situation or or a new take on an age-old question. 
to be powerful in this case means to be prominent. That is able to accomplish big tasks both effectively and efficiently. And to be born with high status, well, that's to have a commendable reputation. So that where you go, people are listening to you and respecting you before you even say a single word. Simply because of who you are. Well, there were some exceptions in that congregation in Corinth. Not many of them would have been considered the world's idea of wise, powerful, or born with wealth born with high status. And in many ways, in the centuries since then, that is how congregations have typically trended to be. As God fills his church with those that would not be among the world's who's who. That even includes us today. Yet as you hear about how the Lord typically calls people to fill his churches to be not among the, the captains of industry or the world's best thinkers or the world-renowned figures on top of that, does that mean that you have nothing to boast of? Isn't there something that you perhaps have done that is worthy of talking about in terms of your wisdom or what you have done or at least your reputation? Perhaps just look at how wise you are. Some of us here have or are working on getting a college degree, and that is not an easy thing to do by any stretch of the imagination. Others of us have received a master's in the school of hard knocks so that we know how to navigate through life's many pitfalls, traps, and dramas without suffering for it too much along the way. Consider the things that we have done Maybe you have some personal achievements or some unique experiences that when you share your stories among others, they all they can do is just to listen because they have nothing to compare with what you just told them that you were able to do. Or maybe think of what we've been able to accomplish as a congregation of Grace's friends and members that have built and are continuing to operate what is possibly the largest childcare facility in our entire church body just 30 minutes south and in, in Grace Serena. And don't forget about the reputation that you hopefully have. Maybe you have a family name that in certain circles, you can simply walk into a room and people are going to pay attention to you. At the very least, you can say that you've come to a church and are part of it that's been around for longer than Arizona has as a state. And during those 110 years plus of history that Grace has existed, it has left a very favorable impression in countless winter visitors, current and former Tucsonans, and English students who have returned to their home countries across the entire world. There are some legitimate things that you and I can boast about. Things that we certainly have done that, yes, we may not be titled among the world's smartest and most powerful and highly reputable, but... Well, we're a lot better than some. But those boasts before the Lord, they count for nothing. Because in comparison to who he is and how he chooses who to fill his church, we see that we have nothing to boast about. Just compare your wisdom, your power, your reputation to the Lord's, and you see just how little it compares to him. Or look at the way that he chooses who typically fills his church to realize how little has to do with who you are or what you can bring to the table. 
And this can be a new thought for us. Imagine that you're back in school and it's recess time and your friends are doing a game of pickup basketball and they need to choose teams. Who's going to be on which team? Suppose that you were one of the team captains. Who would you choose to be on your team to win the game? Wouldn't you choose the athletes who are tall, who are quick, and most importantly, know how to handle a basketball? Of course. Suppose you were team captain of your school's team for Knowledge Bowl, that is, competitive trivia on school subjects. Who would you choose then? Wouldn't you choose the straight-A students, the history buffs, and the thinkers of tomorrow? Suppose you were the team captain of a Christian congregation. Who would you choose to be this visible part of God's larger family of faith? Wouldn't it be those that we respect and looked up to? Like those who the world called to be wise and powerful and to have born with a high status, somebody who has what you can bring to the table? You may think so. Yet who is it that God has typically chosen? What is his M.O.? We find it here in our verses where it says that God chose the foolish things of the world the weak things of the world, the lowly things of the world, and the despised things, and the things that are not. He chose what would probably seem like the the worst-case answer. He chose people like you and me that in the grand scheme of things are exactly this in so many ways. And, And why did he choose those that the world would never expect? Again, our verses tell us, to put to shame those who are wise, to put to shame the things that are strong, to do away with the things that are so that no one may boast before God. You see, God didn't choose what the world considers to be foolish, weak, lowly, despised, and just plain not because he couldn't do any better. God, he has his strength, his incomparable strength, and he can do whatever he wants And yet he chooses, for the most part, to choose those that would be least expected. To show to us that there's nothing in of ourselves to claim our position in God's church. Because in comparison to him, there's nothing to boast about. That even if we are wise, or powerful, or born with high status, the result ends the same that no one can boast before the Lord, even if we think that we want to. And while that is a very humbling truth, it's also a very joyous truth. Because when you doubt you're standing before the Lord, if you wonder, how is it that I can keep myself in God's good graces, remember how you were brought into his family faith in the first place. Not because of you, but because of him. It was God with his incomparable strength who willingly and lovingly chose you to be his child. And the heir of all his promised blessings. He didn't have to make do with you. He chose you. What a blessing that is. Think back to that team captain illustration. And this time, it's it's God who's the team captain. And he's deciding who's going to be in his family of faith. Before him are lined up the entire sinful human race, and you know who he expects, who you expect him to choose. 
the best and the brightest, the powerful, those who have a reputation everywhere they go. And to a certain extent, God does. But for the most part, he chooses what you would not expect. Regular broken people. People like you and me. So that we may know that when he called our name and ripped us from our sins to his forgiveness, it's entirely because of him. It's in that act that he nullifies our every single boast that we could come about from ourselves. But in that same act, he also does a wonderful thing in which he becomes our boast that is far greater than anything we could ever think of to come from ourselves. In these opening chapters from 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he talks a little bit about the differences between wisdom and foolishness from both godly and human perspectives. Human wisdom is typically understood as that, as that applied knowledge to a practical situation or a new take on an age-old question. Godly wisdom differs a bit, and that is not found in what we can study, but it comes from God himself, which is given to us and is primarily founded in who he is as what, and what he's done for us. Christ Jesus, he personified, he became this wisdom when he walked about in this world. And we see what this wisdom is spelled out in three characteristics, spelled out in our verses as being that of righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. To be righteous means to be right with God. That's what indeed Jesus was when he kept the law perfectly. Every single one of God's demands, he kept it to the full. So he was right in God's sight because he was literally right in God's sight. To be sanctified means to be holy, that is, set apart for God and pure from sin. That's what Christ Jesus was. As he was and remains pure from any sin of his own. And set apart from his contemporaries as the promised Savior, a mission that he would not deviate from, from even one second. To be redeemed means to be bought back from captivity by paying a price. And again, that's what Jesus did when he died on that cross. He gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins so we could be free from the curse of our sins. It's in Jesus we see what godly wisdom is truly all about. That is based on who he is, what he has done for us, of righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And it's this wisdom that we get to share in because God chose us to be connected to our Savior. It's because God chose you that you are now wise for salvation. Not simply who to believe in for salvation, but you actually trust in him that is God in his incomparable strength. He did what you and I never could do to open the gates of heaven and to keep them with our name right there, ready to come on in. It's because God chose you that you are righteous. Christ's righteousness covers over your sinful records. I mean, God looks down at what you have done. He doesn't see your sins. He sees what Christ did for you and in your place. Because God chose you, you are sanctified, set apart for him, pure from your sins ever since the day that the Holy Spirit ripped his way into your heart through the hearing of the word and the waters of baptism and that grow with every time you come to the same means of grace. Grace. 
Because God chose you. You are redeemed. Freed from your sins because the price has been paid with that death on the cross. So that hell and its eternal punishment holds no power over you. It's in Christ that you are wise, redeemed, sanctified, and righteous. And who do we give thanks to for all this? And who can we boast in for what is now the case? Not ourselves, oh no. It's the Lord. The Lord becomes our boast because who we are and everything we have, it comes from Him and from Him alone. As such, if we're going to boast, let us keep in mind the command given to us in Jeremiah chapter 9. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's God and his strength that made you his child through faith. He didn't have to settle for what the world considers to be foolish, weak, lowly, despised, or the things that just plain are not. No, in grace and love, he chose you to be his. And it all depends on him. It's because of his choice for you that you now have full access to his promised blessings and are a child of the Lord himself. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord who is the one that makes you blessed in every situation. We didn't talk about it in our sermon, but I encourage you to read back over the words from our gospel for today of our Savior's sermon who says to you that you are blessed in every circumstance, even when it seems anything but that. Or the world says you're anything but blessed. And how can he say that? The Lord and his strength can do what we would never expect. And he is the one who makes you blessed and will keep you blessed as he says in those wonderful verses from Matthew chapter 5. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord who's connected you to everything Christ Jesus became. It's because he chose you that you are now wise, redeemed, sanctified, and righteous. And these blessings will remain yours in full. You will keep this godly wisdom through that faith in who Christ is, and that will never go away. As I learned at my three-year class reunion, we sinful humans can all have a tendency that when we talk about ourselves, that we highlight ourselves, we boast about ourselves instead of the one who deserves all the credit. While we may have legitimate things that we can boast about, at the very least give thanks to God for, before the Lord, those boasts just are nullified, as shown to us in the way he typically chooses to be in his family of faith. As our God nullifies our every boast about ourselves, he also gives us the best boast of all. He becomes our boast himself who chose you to be his, and to have you share in everything Christ Jesus is. As such, if we're going to boast, let us boast in the Lord for who you are and what you have is all because of him. Amen.